We welcome you again to Weston Park Baptist Church as we carry on in this <coughs> fall season, uh, in the middle of our series on the Beatitudes, the upside-down world of Jesus, seeing the Beatitudes as the essence of Christ's teaching, his core values. So if you want to get a good understanding of Jesus, the Beatitudes are a good place to begin. The word mercy, the Hebrew word behind that is, is kesed, which is used a lot, speaks of God's covenantal relationship with us, his steadfast love it's often translated as, Psalm 103, his compassion, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, all of these words are part of the idea of mercy. So we think of Christ as the king, God as a God of mercy, Christ as a Messiah of mercy, and if we are in as citizens of God's kingdom, then we are also called to be merciful because we are emulating Jesus. So that's where this is going. Interesting that uh, Christ says in Matthew 9 to the Pharisees, Hosea 6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, at least it's citing Hosea. And it's an interesting piece because it's, it's a story of Jesus' call of, of Matthew, the tax collector, Matthew, to be, become part of his group, one of his disciples. And so at the beginning, we're told in Matthew that Jesus holds a, a dinner and a variety of people come at Matthew's house, and they are called by the Pharisees uh, sinners, tax collectors, friends of Matthew. And the Pharisees are quite upset because why would this young rabbi have dinner with such people? And Jesus responds to them by saying, well, I actually, I've come to speak to the sick and not to those who are well. And then he cites Hosea I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So that statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, Christ sees as pivotal in his response to the learneds of the day. And it's also a statement to the new church, the early church that the evangelists are writing to, that mercy is key. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Meaning, it's not about following a bunch of rules but it's about demonstrating love and mercy as a essential part of that. So we have to hold that verse and that story uh, paramount as we're understanding what mercy is about. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You can see that in Matthew chapter nine. So the world often moves away from pain. It, it isolates itself from it. And also the world finds revenge rather attractive. If you bomb me, then I'm going to bomb you. That's, that's the story of our world. And you hear, and we hear a lot less of mercy in response to people who are aggressive. So it's a very different response to what the world normally presents. So I like what Farrell says. He says, we see the contrast here between the mercy of God and the smallness of ourselves. God is indeed a merciful God. 
and his overtures, the wideness of his mercy, as the psalmists say, much wider than our usual viewpoint on life. So remember the Beatitudes. They fall into three bits, the, the descriptor, the target group, and then the reward. So we're well into it just quickly. The blessed statement is the descriptor before all the Beatitudes. You are blessed. You are fortuitous. You are in a good position. You are happy because you know God. You are blessed. That's the statement. So once again, in spite of all of our hassles, in spite of the challenges of life, God sees us as blessed. We are blessed. God blesses us even as we respond and bless him. Blessing is two-sided. And so that's, that's the statement. That's the descriptor, blessed. And then the target group are, are those uh, who demonstrate mercy. So mercy and meekness, and poor in spirit. These are references to the other Beatitudes. They start piling up. So mercy is connected to meekness. Meekness is connected to being poor in the spirit. And they show the compassion of God and God's desire to be with us, to be present with us in our pain. He suffers with us, and we are called then to suffer with others. So mercy then is linked to meekness, linked to being poor in the spirit. And specifically, mercy has two dimensions to it. One is pardon accorded to one in the wrong. And then secondly, kindness shown to one in need. So first of all, mercy is pardon then. Someone has wronged you, but you offer pardon. You offer forgiveness. That's, that's mercy. And so the classic example here is is used in Matthew 18 of the parable of the landowner and the servants. And you can read that there in Matthew 18, but quickly it is <clears throat> one of the servants of the landowner owes him a tremendous, tremendous debt. Thousands and thousands of dollars. It's a lot. It's a big debt. And the landowner says, hey, you owe me this money, you have to pay me back servant says, I, I, it's impossible, I can never do that, and he, and he begs for mercy, and graciously, the landowner pardons his debt. But then the turn in the story is, is that servant has another friend who owes him a, a paltry sum, sum that could be paid back. <coughs> and, and, and the second servant says, well, please, I can't pay you back right now. I, I, it's going to take time. And the first servant says, well, forget it. You owe me the money. You can't do it. He has the guy thrown in jail. The news gets back to the, the landowner, and the landowner goes and confronts this ungrateful first servant and says, hey, like, What's going on here, man? I, I forgave you for this huge amount, and yet you can't forgive your friend with even a small amount. And the, the key line in the story is this one. Were you not bound then to have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Were you not bound? So if I show you mercy, then we are to pass that mercy on. 
It's a story, really. So the first part of mercy is pardoning. And so if we just think about that for a moment, then we are not to hold on to grudges. We are not to act in a petty fashion. We are not to hold on to bitterness and anger. And all of these things can happen in the church, in the local church. The writers of the Gospels are, are speaking to the church. And we are told that we are to demonstrate mercy to one another and, and not hold on to the smallness that we often do. We are called to be pardoning even as we are pardoned. So that's, that's the first piece. So mercy is about pardoning someone who has done you wrong. Secondly, it is kindness shown to people in need. So we hear about the acts of mercy. Almsgiving, giving generously to help other people in need. This is also mercy, kindness shown to people in need. Classic idea of this is found in 1 Timothy 1.16 when Paul, who sees himself as the greatest of sinners, he really sees himself that way. I had persecuted the church. I had held the clothes of the one, you know, when they were killing Stephen, the first martyr. He saw and sees himself as one who had not done well. But yet he says Christ has reached out to him and pardoned him. So we see it in 1 Timothy 1.16. Paul says, but for that very reason I receive mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. I had done wrong, but I have received mercy in Christ. And then hence, Paul spends the rest of his life in service for God and in ways of showing practical mercy and help. Remember, Paul is the one who goes around to all the different churches to collect monies to give to the church in Jerusalem that is suffering real need. So mercy is about pardon. Mercy is about kindness. And the target group is us. When we have received mercy, will we pass it on to others? And the reward, as we've already seen, Matthew 18, is that we will receive mercy from God we will receive his forgiveness. And when we read this, it can sound almost like, uh, you know, our receiving mercy is dependent on us, as if it's a quid pro quo arrangement, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Well, it's not that. But it's saying that when we receive mercy, it just makes sense that we will pass that on to others. It's like the Lord's Prayer, where we have been forgiven, then we forgive others. It's, it's the same. It's not quid pro quo. It's not saying you won't. It's not a legalistic interpretation, but it just makes sense that if we receive mercy from God, forgiveness from God, then we will want to pass that on to others. So then how does, how does Matthew see this working out in his gospel? How does Luke, who writes the Sermon on the Plain, how do, how do they see this mercy going forward? Well, it's interesting, in Luke's version, two pieces are picked up right away, and here they are. Number one is love your enemies. 
If we're going to talk about mercy, then we show mercy by loving our enemies and not seeking revenge, Luke 6, that follows the Sermon on the Plain. So are we loving our enemies? That's what the writer is saying. And not only that, it follows with not judging others, not holding on to judgment, anger, bitterness, like we were saying, but let, let the stream carry on, let it flow down the river, let it pass on, not to... Keep holding on to it. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Fighting back, fighting back. Wanting the power position. That's not what the Gospels are about. And of course that presents the countercultural view of Jesus because loving our enemies is hard. And and we all have a tendency to judge others. But those are the prime examples of no, we are called to show mercy. So will we be merciful as we have received mercy from God? To show mercy, not sacrifice mercy. So those two pieces get our attention, I think. You know, it's not easy to love our enemies. Not easy not to judge. But that's what this the attitude is about. So going forward then, what, what, what do we see? Well, why is Jesus emphasizing this right in the middle of his Beatitudes, right, right in the heart? Why is this one right there, fifth Beatitude? Well, I think one is that because it presents who God is. It presents who Abba is. Abba is our father. Abba is our parent. Abba is the one who's created us and redeemed us. That this is the heart of God. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He desires love, agape love. And so this, this beatitude then is presenting to us in a very solid way the notion of God as our loving parent, our Abba which I can say is quite unique in all of the world's religions. God is not normally presented as a loving Abba towards his children, indeed towards creation. And so one reason why this beatitude is important is because of the way it presents God, number one. Secondly, we also see that this beatitude presents who Jesus is, that Jesus is the one who demonstrates mercy from the cross. Jesus says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing when he's crucified, when he's on the cross. Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they are doing. They really don't know what they're doing. They're just acting out. They're just reacting. Forgive them. So that's a great demonstration of mercy. And and then mercy not just in his words there, but in his, his life, in his person, his action. So the writer of Hebrews says this of Jesus, but we do see Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Hebrews presenting Christ as our high priest who gives himself for us 
This is all the action of mercy. So mercy in his words, mercy also in his living and dying and resurrection for you and for me so that we don't end in death, but that we experience life, abundant life. That's, that's part of the mercy here in this beatitude. I think thirdly, there's also a, a, a warning to us, if you like, that we are not to slip into the role of respectable Pharisee. The story of Jesus and Matthew, the tax collector, and the Pharisees critiquing him right away, we can also fall into that role as religious very, very easily. That we think we are better than others. That we think we are more capable than others. And so we have a tendency to judge and withhold mercy. And we simply don't see the wideness of God's mercy. You can pick almost any area in an area that we critique, and you can count on it that the wideness of God's mercy is going to be way wider than where we would put the parameters. And so we are not to fall into the camp of Pharisee, but we are always to remember that we have received mercy from God, so then pass it on. We may not understand, we may not agree, we may not interpret it all, you know, in a way that makes sense to us, but it God wants mercy. God wants love. So will that be the heart of our response? It's always a choice for us. There's a tendency to become Pharisees, particularly in our attitudes, in terms of responding to all of these realities. You've got to remember that mercy in the Hebrew world was not an attitude. Mercy was an action. So mercy is always about our action. I like what Corretto writes, those who do not love feel superior to everyone else. Those who love feel equal to everyone else. And those who love much gladly take the lower place. And so, you know, where are we on that graph? Will we take the lower place because we love much? Coretta was writing. Fourthly, Pascal reminds us that in our emotions, we don't always feel loving. We don't always feel merciful. We don't always feel kind. So we can't depend on our emotions because I, I'm, I might be angry. I might feel bitterness. I, I might want to lash out. My emotions may be leading me that way, but Pascal says <clears throat> we are created in such a way that we don't have to respond simply emotionally. We can still act in mercy. So we don't always feel merciful, but we can act mercifully. We may not always feel kind, but I can respond in a kind way. That we are called to emulate Jesus whether or not our emotions are always there. And so we could play that out right throughout the Beatitudes. We may not feel like it, but we can still act in a way that is loving and kind. As humans, we have the ability to do that. We, we don't just have to lash out. We can act in a kind way. So I think those are, that's a good 
suggestion from Pascal, the great thinker. And so we close then with just this statement, you know, where is mercy in, in your life right now? Where have you received mercy? Where could you say and look at your life, I've, I've received mercy in this situation? And where have you or I, have we passed on mercy in some specific way? Have we ever done that? Really acted in mercy even though the other person has wronged us? How does mercy interface with our life? It's interesting, you know, that we cannot show mercy towards God. Can't do it. We can only show mercy to other people, others. And I'm reminded of Van Bremen's statement that everyone needs more forgiveness than they deserve. Everyone, including ourselves. We need more forgiveness. We need more mercy than we deserve. So may we remember that as we respond to people who might be our enemies, as we are prone to judge others. Let's see them as people, individuals created in the image of God on their own journey where they have to learn much still, and grow, even as we ourselves do. Everyone needs more forgiveness than they deserve. May we be less quick to judge quicker, to show mercy. So may we hear this beatitude, this fifth beatitude of Jesus this week, see where that might lead us. In Jesus' name I pray.